0: What makes a great solar business? How can you learn from the past and prepare for the future so your solar business thrives? We set out to answer these questions and more. My name is Nigel Morris and I'm the Head of Business Development at Solar Analytics. Welcome to Great Solar Business, proudly brought to you by Solar Juice. Well, hello, solar friends, and welcome back to another episode of Great Solar Business. This week, we explore yet more secrets of great solar business and explore the topic Grid 3.0. What does the future of the grid look like? If you sell or install solar, you already face a raft of regulations, limits, and technical requirements, arguably they're mostly designed with good intentions, but it's fair to say that many are arbitrary, some are discriminatory, and some, some simply slow down the uptake of solar. How's this likely to change? What does it mean for your solar business? We'll explore this topic this week with my special guest, Mike Swanston. I first met Mike decades ago when, I, when he worked in Energex, and I quickly realised he was different to everyone else because he actually liked solar. Mike was one of the first people I talked to in a DSP who wanted to talk about how to get more solar on in a way that worked for everyone and showed me what they had to deal with in their control room. Since leaving Energex, he's done many things and now I helps guide energy companies through his consultancy company, The Customer Advocate. Mike, welcome to solar business.
1: G'day, I'm a bit concerned to just say that we met that long ago because that would have meant we met it when I was about 17 17
0: yeah that's right um, me too I'd like to I think was that young anyway. as well yeah that's right lovely to have you here mate um, It's a pleasure
1: to be here mate good to catch up again
0: well, you, you too you too now now just to get started let's let's just set the scene give us a give us a brief history of you know your experience in the energy energy industry and how you end up becoming a customer advocate and mm. um and, and and perhaps most importantly how uh, you know a guy who worked for a dnsp uh who was watching profits erode so rapidly actually came to love solar
1: oh, i'd like to say i had the operation but no that's a bit blunt <laughs> um no look my background i'm an electrical engineer um came up through the dnsp ranks through a number of them in fact my first gig was uh assistant system control engineer for Northern Rivers County Council based in Grafton in Koolkang Power Station, where we put in the first ever SCADA and remote control system. And um, I'm probably showing my age now in the good old days of 1200 board FSK modems. Um, But then from there, went up to Brisbane, down to Melbourne for a number of years with PowerCore. It was DB number two at that stage. Then, as you mentioned, back to Energex um, in the control centre after, you know, many years of planning, development, network investment things. And of course, Control Centre is a wonderful place to work because you get to see the, I don't know, I suppose the outcomes of everything that's going on between what yes. the network's doing and how it's designed and how it's planned and also what customers are doing, you know, what the demand curves look like and, and what expectations are. And not only technically, but also expectations of reliability and service quality and information for outages and stuff so network ops is just a a wonderful place to work and it's just such a um,
0: said like a true engineer I have to say
1: a cauldron of of interesting (laughs) things but uh, towards the end there I started to ask myself so how do we know we're doing a good job and how are we adapting to the new energy environment that's coming Mm. and um, where do all these retailers and third parties fit So that's where I moved across my last few years in in working in the industry uh, in, strangely enough, strategic planning and customer service, where we were looking at the disaggregation of the industry, along come all these new retailers in Queensland, what were the arrangements. But of course, you just got such a line of sight on consumer and customer expectations. And at that time, this is sort of we're talking around 2012, 13, was the great Invest in, investment in in renewables, particularly rooftop solar, just went crazy here in Queensland. We had the conversation about the um, the forty-four cent or the solar bonus feed-in tariff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a it was a real point of conversation. I remember having you know long conversations with uh, an interesting committee run by a guy called Paul Miley, who we were invest we were considering metering, we were considering net feed-in tariffs, gross feed-in tariffs all those sorts of things to encourage rooftop solar. And uh, then, unfortunately, I got the job then of signing every connection agreement. And I remember it was all right to start with. But by about 2015, you'd walk into the room in the mail room and they'd just pull a face as you walked in and saw these piles and piles of... And, of course, those were the days when, you know, five kilowatt connections straight in. It was the connection agreement with the DNSP. Yep. and it was that was the heady days, just the amazing days where you know we saw we had fueled by the feed in tariff. We saw well, this is when you and I were having these conversations of yes, all the different installers that were there. We saw some of excellent quality, we saw some of perhaps more questionable quality, um, equipment of a whole range. Um, we saw you know the, the connection requirements, and of course, that was the first insight where we started to see things like voltage concerns and, mm. um anyway so i was in customer services and fascinated in seeing that this was the new world this was just what was going on and we had to be part of this this was not a tide that any dnsp was ever going to hold back and you had to be on that train or you're going to miss it or it was going to be a disaster so i decided it was time to be on that train so as much as i could do with energex and energy to it credit was very much you know at the forefront in a lot of that work of getting efficient connections and getting um online portals so that, you know, we we got things connected as quickly and as easily as possible. But then uh, along came the world of of early retirement redundancy payments. And I thought, oh, you beauty, get paid to retire. Hello, Santa Claus. So that was a good thing. And then since then, it was six years ago. And since then, I've been working with the, the Australian Energy Regulator on their consumer panel. I've done a lot of work for a number of governments. Um, around the place, particularly Victoria, and um, in the early days, the ESC and mm-hmm. Queensland. And then, of course, I've got a lot of work overseas now with uh, places like um, the United Arab Emirates, UK and US. Oh, wow. Um, mainly talking about things like the impact of you know, the increase in renewables and what it's doing with load factors, where we might head with um, tariffs and control. But, of course, now the new conversation. The emerging conversation now is is all about uh, dynamic inverter controls and the new world of um, of demand management or demand optimization or um, operating envelopes. You know, they, they, all these things all overlap. They're different words for what is roughly the same territory, and that's the new world. And that's where a lot of my work is coming from now. Is trying to work out not only technically what these are, but what does it mean for consumers, for customers? Yeah. Will they accept it? Will it be, you know, you look at why do people put solar on the roof and is this newer world of dynamic operating envelopes consistent with customers' expectations? You know, there's a a whole new world out there that we're only just starting to scratch the surface.
0: It's true, isn't it? It's true. Now, now, that's a great introduction and, and a great context for for what you're doing and I've got a a bunch of questions we might amble around these questions but I've got a bunch of questions that I wanted to hit you with specifically during your during your time what and, and, and you know a lot of the discussions that you and I had were having Mike were around this sort of momentous shift from solar being something that you could cope with personally handling every application which just cracks me up to being this overwhelming nightmare that kept you awake at night because there were too many to deal with. and there was a lot of change in regulation and policy around um, those times and it continues today as you rightly say. What stands out to you as the best and the worst of those kind of policy and regulatory changes from your perspective you know what what, what really stands out that that um, from an ind- from an energy industry perspective, You guys got right and perhaps didn't get quite so right
1: well i suppose the quite not quite so right is probably the easy one isn't it awful how you always put the black hat on first anyway was the very quick imposition of zero export Uh Um, you know we a lot of the larger installations immediately went and we made zero export very complicated or, or at least export regulation very complicated and that was really a a somewhat unintentional attempt just to put the brakes on for a while because things were just going along so fast Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know the dnsps were having a lot of trouble with voltage this is going back you know five years or so when you know because the old the old traditional way of setting up a lv network used to be that you ran it as high as possible you know you're always up the top end of the you know up into the 240s 250s Yep. because the only thing you ever had to face was voltage collapse or voltage drop on a cold winter's night and everyone turned on their bar radiators. Yep. So the network paradigm was to run the voltage high. And so when reverse power flow started to come in, it wasn't the end of the world. It wasn't that net that you know protection was going to suddenly fail or the wires were going to fall down. But we've hit high voltage, and the only response that networks had was the response the Lieber networks could pull was export restrictions in the connection agreement and so we pulled on that handle pretty quick pretty early yep A- and I could see the frustration I could see the frustration in the solar industry and with customers <laughs> about hmm. the about the um, about these these export restrictions. so it was something we had to do, but it was something we had to move on from very quickly hmm. so that would probably be the worst was was just the pity you know. It was understandable but it had to be done but it was not good for consumers where we had to pull the handle on export restriction pretty quick Hmm. the best thing though is that we were able to get the connection agreements pretty Mm snick. you know five five kilowatt single phase 30 kilowatt um, or 15 kilowatt then up to 30 kilowatt on on three phase almost rubber stamping we got the approvals. The CEC did a wonderful bit of work, you know, in getting all that whole approval of inverters through so you didn't have to muck around too much with what inverter types were going on. So the argument was for the smaller systems, we tried to get that as as you know, turn the handle as possible. Yep. In those really heady days. Yep. Now of course you guys, you know, were, we,
0: you guys were well ahead of the curve yeah. on that. I do I, I do remember that it was a, it was a sudden game changer when you got those processes up and things just started to flow right
1: had to and it wasn't easy because there's a lot of engineers myself included that you know you'd go hmm jesus is this all right you know what's this going to do to the network to the grid but then we said well let's deal with it let's 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 let it happen and deal with it so as much as we could um we got those more uh you know run of the mains connections as quick and easy as possible yeah, nice. there's still a big challenge. Um, there's there's still a big challenge now about um, you know what do we do with voltage? How do we start winding voltage back? But particularly we saw it in the last of the Victorian reg reset, where the Victorians especially, and it was was helped by the AMI rollout. You know the fact that they've got direct access to to smart meter data. Yes. Um, the good thing was that we could. Get a lot smarter in running the grid, and I think that that's that's going to be a good thing. We're going to see coming through, particularly Victoria, but Queensland's in that space too now, where um, they're getting a lot smarter. And of course, South Australia, you know, they they we're getting away from blanket restrictions of export. We're getting uh, we're trying to you know be more intelligent in site by site approvals. So I think that's yeah. one of the good things is the networks are, are, are getting very clever now with their their modelling, their low-voltage modelling, and therefore managing the risk when it talks to more and more uh, inverters coming into the grid. So they're the pluses and minuses. I suppose it's natural from a distribution engineer to say it's all about the connection agreement.
0: Of course, of Um, course. But they're they're, they're important. I mean, and and again, you know, thinking about who we're talking to here, we're talking to our listeners are mostly solar installers, so I'm really keen to sort of tease out of you, you know, um, not only the background, but also what, what they need to do to understand uh, what uh, networks have to contend with and also what they can do. And so that leads me to my next question then. Imagine you're in a room. You've been in this room before, Mike. You're talking to a room full of grid people, retailers, network people, transmission people, whatever it would be, and you come in as, as the customer advocate and you say to them, here are the top three things that I advise you to prepare for when it comes to solar over the next year or two. Here are the big three issues. As as traditional grid energy people that I need you to think about and prepare for, what what are those top three things? What's on the top of your list?
1: Oh, gee, mate. just A bunch of grid people. Anything in renewable space is a tough ask. It's a tough audience.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, I always as you know, mate, we've had this conversation before, I have a fascination about a thing called WIFM. What's in it for me? Mm -hmm. And if there's not something in it for me, then naturally I view it as a grudge purchase. Mm -hmm. And of course, networks don't make money carrying power the other direction. Well, even say, let's say make money, that's the wrong term, given the fact that they are, you know, largely revenue-capped regulatory Mm -hmm. businesses. But there's not an incentive. There's not a carrot that says to networks, if you can make this connection easier, if you can take some more reverse power, then there's something in it for you. So there's not a carrot there. Same for retailers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Retailers
1: just want, you know, uh, look, I I don't put words in retailers' mouths, but ultimately, when you're billing people on kilowatt hours and there's less and less kilowatt hours to bill on, what's let's 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 talk about your revenue stream. Um, Yep. So it's a tough audience. Yes. So the first time I do when I go and talk to grid people in the space, and we do it a fair off, fair while, quite often, is try to think what's the whiffum? How do you pitch this in? What's in it for me? Yeah. So, so what's for in retailers, it for well, what's for retailers, for, we talk about uh, retailers. We talk about brand positioning. You know, you want to be seen as mm. green. You know, you've got thirty mm-hmm. percent of the consumer base. You know, and more. And you know, you look at just the growth in the C and I, commercial, industrial, and small business now. If you want to be seen as a retailer, that is in tune with sustainability, Mm -hmm. with in tune with where the new world is going, that is wanting to be part of what consumers are looking for, which is better pricing, um, better service, reliability connection, independence, uh, sustainability angle. So if retailers pitch themselves in that direction, uh, or or are, are solar friendly or renewable friendly or even storage friendly, um, it, it it goes towards their brand positioning, which is right. which is the first thing for which retailers. Means
0: more customers, yeah, yeah. Correct,
1: correct. Yeah, yeah. Networks networks have realised this is the new bus ah. to be on. Oops, there you go. That's my dog. I might. Do, do you want to edit that bit out? Um, that, that's let's fun. Go. <laughs> Sad part is I have two little white fluffy dogs, Archie and Daisy, and the amount of Zoom and Teams conferences that I've done over the last sort of 12, 17 months, I think half the half the electricity industry know Archie and Daisy. Um, if they're not jumping on me, they're right at the most opportune moment or inopportune moment, decide to bark at something or someone on a bicycle goes past and they decide it's their role to alert the neighbourhood that the dogs just that someone just come past on a on a bicycle. Yeah, good. But anyway, no. So with networks, the good thing is networks have now now quite comfortable with the new world, Mm -hmm. and they're much more towards well, how is this? How do I deal with it? And so if I was talking to grid people, the main conversations we're having at the moment, firstly is what's called network utilisation. You know, this is the the peaks are still peakier, the holes are getting bigger. And so you've got a whole bunch of network out there that's working very hard 10 days a year with peak demand. You've got a network that's working very hard about 20 days a year managing the solar feeding, you know, a lovely sunny autumn afternoon. And then it's Mm -hmm. doing a whole lot of, not a lot in the middle. And Mm -hmm. this, so again, you try and frame this as a WIFM and you say, well, what's this opportunity for networks? And that's where we started to see some of the stuff coming through about new tariffs and new pricing, because networks are trying to say, well, if you throw us a little bit of a carrot here about being able to use um, underutilised network and spare network capacity and use it better, well, maybe we can flatten out the curve and find a better deal for all customers. So that's the sort of angle that you do with the, to talk to with networks is is nice try and find their with them and you know what's what's hurting networks at the moment and honestly whilst peak demand and voltage and is is hurting and we might address it a little later in this chat there is a significant problem emerging now on peak solar days mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. try the to encourage curve. yeah try yeah. to encourage networks You know, it's got different names. One of the easy names, which is probably not the best description in the world, but it's sort of found its way into vernacular, is called minimum demand. Mm -hmm. So, of the conversation with networks, interestingly, a lot of the conversation with networks around is how do we turn the minimum demand challenge into an opportunity? Uh, You know, start talking about local network charges where we can you know, supply power, not right across the country, but we're going to supply power from my solar to the Woolworths store down the end that works on a yeah. Sunday. And so that's the sort of conversations that are going around in network world at the moment is how do we manage this minimum demand from a, a tariff, a WIFM point of view? Yeah. And then, of course, there's all the new entrants. You know, we've got all the new entrants. We've got the responsible agents we're seeing out of South Australia. We've got more, you know, a greater world of aggregators that are just around the corner as we move to a new elegant, demand response mm. world we've mm. got um operators of community batteries we've got operators of community microgrids you know that's the next conversation too is to where where do all these people fit in there and what's what's in it for them yeah so yeah. um that's with the them. sort of conversations with we're having like in the it. room now yeah the with them. so
0: I that's like the it. sort
1: of conversations we're having at the moment in the industry yeah is is for retailers, how do they manage their branding in this sort of world? Networks, how are they managing the challenges in the network? But how do we see that as an opportunity, not as a a problem? And then we've got all the the new entrants into the market and where do they fit and how do we add value to the customer?
0: I love it. There's always something to learn. Let's just take a moment to hear a message from our sponsors.
2: SolarJuice is Australia's leading solar distributor, providing complete residential and commercial rooftop solar component solutions. SolarJuice aligns themselves with brands that share their values of service, support, quality and value for money, like their panel brands REC, Hyundai, Trina and Longi, their inverters SMA, Fronius and SunGrow, along with the Tesla Powerwall battery. Check out solarjuice.com.au and let SolarJuice help you become a great solar business.
0: And thanks, of course, to Solar Juice, our uh, series sponsors, uh, and we couldn't do it without them. Thanks, uh, guys and girls over at Solar Juice. Uh, Mike, that was fascinating. And so, so you've told me, um, and we're going to run out of time, so I'm going to get you to condense your answers just a fraction for me. I, if I'm sorry, mate.
1: I, I have a reputation of being able to talk under wet cement with a mouthful of marbles. So I apologize. I know, no,
0: and you me. and I can just, you it's know, there's been a couple of beers. Such a great subject. Shared. It's a great subject. Now, I want to flip this around very quickly. Uh, you, you were talking to a room full of grid people. You were trying to focus on the big issues that you would advise them to prepare for. Now you're talking to a room full of solar businesses. You've got solar people in a room. Oh. You've been called in. I've rung you up and said, Mike, come and talk to all these solar companies. They want to know what to get ready for. What are the three things that you're going to tell them
1: oh. to prepare for? Love it. Love it. Love it. Great subject. Um, the first one and the obvious one, is how are we going Look, you've heard me say this before. We've become very clever in the way we generate energy. Mm -hmm. We've become very sustainable how we generate
2: energy, renewable
1: storage, even areas like FCAS and things, rooftop and utility. But the key will be if we're going to have a true renewable energy future is we also have to be clever in the way that we consume energy. So I, you know, we're very clever in generating it, but we're going to have to start matching consumption to the way we generate. So I see solar installers will 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 morph or grow from panels on a roof. And I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, a lot of organisations have moved a lot further than that now. But you know, in the in its heyday, it was panels on a roof, and there's your inverter down yep. on the wall. To Integrated demand response and generation within the house or within mm-hmm. the premises. Mm-hmm. Smarter So, because you know, right? smarter home. Every everyone everyone knows the best deal with your rooftop energy is to self-consume. Yep. That's the best. You know, the, the beautiful thing about rooftop solar is you don't have to move it anywhere to use it. In, in general, in general. So things like you know energy storage, if it's not batteries, where's your um where's your storage hot water system and when does that operate? So when's the pool pump running? Um, How do we encourage customers through both technological solutions and um, with um, tariff offerings, you know, and tariff incentives? Yes. So that's going to be the first big one is, is I think the, the solar companies or the renewable companies that can move beyond panels that move beyond panels and, and um, an inverter and the sort of the fairly basic business case to looking at the the house and the opportunities now i know a lot of companies a lot of good companies are doing that already but that'll have to feed all its way through to to all the different customer cohorts yep. of just looking at how intelligent the loads is loads are how do we match all this up together the second big channel will ch- challenge will be the continuing um, change in inverter standards. Mhm. have yeah, just now, come, just no come back from South it.
0: Australia and uh, interviewed yeah. a bunch of installers while I was down there and you know uh, the the remote automated or semi quasi automated remote control of inverters down there under the smarter homes program was right on the top of their agenda you know they were seeing this in, in 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 the real world just happening around them every customer has to accept it now um, so your prediction would be that that's going to roll out more widely.
1: Yep, we're going to get we're going to get very comfortable with twenty thirty point five. I think, um, mind you, you know the distributors sort of they they gave it a bit of a false start. You know, we went through four triple seven two thousand fifteen that required DRM zero controls. Yep, and very few of that actually gets worked. But the idea there was that on a on a peak solar day. If there's a problem you know with the grid in reverse power and of course the problem's not just the grid now we're starting to see some challenges at the transmission and generation stability level yes and you know we could have a whole podcast on that yes but the idea of having to put some sort of control or optimization or dispatch yep to larger consumer inverters is dead set absolutely right on our doorstep right yeah yeah so that'll be something that installers will have to get their head around. It's look it's not going to be palatable, you know. In governments don't like that idea. It was a tough call in South Australia. They had to have a fairly nasty couple of events there before they could get that across the line. But I can see that issue coming ahead in the next few years here is this and here I mean in the other states in the NEM. Where the so idea he, give of give me a, give me a prediction of of here, Mark. doing give a deal me, with a customer.
0: Give me a prediction. When 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 are we going to see this roll out? What's your gut feel? What's your intuition telling you? Is it going to be this year? Is it going to be two years? Is it going to be ten years? How fast is this going to come?
1: Oh, look, I'm not right across, you know, because all the inverter standards have changed a little bit now that they're across into the National Electricity Law and stuff like that. It's got to be complicated, but um, I reckon in the next two or three years, absolutely at the latest, there'll be a, a requirement for. 20, 30.5 compliant inverters being the standard to go in. There you go. You know, that'll be the next round of, of of requirement standards because soon networks will have to say, and of course they've still got a lot of things to work with. They've got to work with the customer and go say, well, what's the deal for the consumer? Who gets paid? Of course. Do the, Does the consumer trust what you're doing? But I see it as a logical extension from the old off-peak hot water that we saw and we've seen in Queensland and uh, New South Wales. Of course. Where customers get to the point where they're quite comfortable with somebody else. They trust them and they see a commercial benefit for somebody else just dicking around with their hot water system for a couple of hours a day. It doesn't affect their amenity. They, They save a few bucks. If we can get inverter standards and inverter control into that same space, which is not going to be easy, but if we get into that same space soon, that's going to take a lot of pressure off the concerns that we're seeing from the market operator about the stability of the, the larger, the wider transmission and generation grids.
0: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: As we see fewer and fewer rotating generators, you know, big steam and gas turbines come off the grid. Yeah. And we have more and more renewables generating. We've got to be able to dispatch is not the right word. So I can see that that's going to come in pretty quickly. There's still a few hurdles, but what, what we're seeing in South Australia is an excellent crucible.
0: It's a, it's a canary in the coal the mine, isn't it? It's, and, and, you know, yeah. we saw Callide have a little whoopsie the other week. will be next. Um, we saw Victoria yep. get a little bit of water on their coal, which kind of spoiled their party. So they had to shut that yeah. down. So, you know, it's kind of the fragility of, of a baseload um, coal generation is kind of um, inadvertently upping the ante and, and kind of highlighting oh, absolutely. You know, what else can be done. Now, we're going to run and out of time really quickly. So no, I'm we've going got to, to make I'm, sure. I'm going to hit you with some questions, righto. Mike. Sure, righto, mate. Righto. Next and, question. And just... Right. I'll, give you, you,
1: I'll give you simple answers. <laughs> Anybody who knows me smiling at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: right. I'm smiling right now. Uh, in two years' time, what's your prediction for batteries? Do you think um, would they've been a bit slow to take off? Do you think in two years' time batteries are just going to be racing out the door?
1: Oh, look, I'm struggling because I just look at the business case for batteries and whether they're going to fall far enough in price, I don't know. But if we can get good tariffs, you know, where we can charge batteries cheap and and we've got, you know, I know it sounds silly, but expensive power at night that encourages the use of batteries, you know, to discharge... If we can get tariff reform, then batteries will be an absolute no-brainer. But by gee, the trouble we're having with tariff reform at the moment, I'm not holding my
0: breath. Right. Well, let me ask you. You've segued to the perfect second question, which is, are we likely to see tariff reform in the next two years that will enable this to happen?
1: Jeez, oh, I hope so. It's.
0: You're on the inside. You're hearing these conversations. What's the vibe, Mike? Do you think it's... We've been oh, talking been about a, it for It's been a
1: long. can... We've been kicking this can down the road for yeah. years, yeah. And you know, it's we've been trying to do it by evolution. You know, South Australia had a bit more of an opportunity because of revolution. Ah, um, oh, look, it is incredibly frustrating. But anyway, they're chipping away. We've yep. got the AEMC looking at getting metering reform. That'll be a good step yep. forward. Um It'll depend where, because ultimately, it's politicians that will view it. You know, I remember. Look, it's some tariff reform where we 95% of customers were going to be better off, but it was the 5% of customers who were going to be worse off that was the problem. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, and you're going, mm, okay. No, look, I, I'm not trying to sound very, very um, negative about it. We need it. It'll be great. But it's tough. But for it? it to happen fairly quickly, look, I've been a bit scarred. I really <laughs> have. And it'll, we'll almost need we'll need a genuine good bugger up to create the incentive for change yeah
0: yeah 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 i suspect you might be right well that's a and that's a perfect way we're going to be out of time but i got one last question and this is where we're going to talk about that bugger up and what perhaps and 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 you know so you can be and you can be as controversial as you want here if you had the power to change <laughs> the way solar and the grid interacted and how it was managed what would you do what would how would you reinvent the grid if you had all that capability and power and there were no delays and you could just flip it on its head and change it uh in one minute tell me what you'd
1: do Mike storage and demand response the way we use energy has to change the way we're generating energy is changing solar is brilliant but we can't stop the sun setting at half past four in the afternoon we have to use power differently when we use it how we use it and so my change would be if we could if we could change things is to work out a way that we can convince customers and consumers to to embrace a new way of using energy that matches the new way that we generate power
0: well that is a perfect way to end this conversation especially given that uh, you're called the customer advocate um we've got the right man on the job there and i'm i'm so glad uh, that you're still here mike that you're still batting away that you're still uh, loving the opportunity for renewables, but but have the lens and the experience of a of, of a grid guy. Um, we're we're out of time, sadly. But but Mike, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your insights with our
1: listeners. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Nigel. Always good to catch up, and hopefully one day when we can travel safely again, we'll catch up for that coffee.
0: <laughs> I look forward to it, mate. Well, friends, that's a wrap. My name is Nigel Morris and I'm Head of Business Development at Solar Analytics. I hope you picked up some tips on how to build a great solar business and I look forward to talking to you again in two weeks.
2: Great Solar Business was brought to you by Solar Juice, Australia's leading solar distributor. Solar Juice aligns themselves with brands that share their values of service, support, quality and value for money. Check out solarjuice.com.au and let Solar Juice help you become a great solar business.